Welcome to Fandom. And Wellness. A podcast about the complex relationship between fandom and mental health. Disclaimer, we are not psychiatrists or psychologists. We are just fangirls with a vested interest in mental health. I'm Arkita. I'm Jenny. And I'm Danielle. And this episode, we're talking romanticized, unhealthy relationships in media. Trigger warning. Uh, we will discuss abusive relationships and everything that is associated with them. So if you think that um, you will be triggered by discussion of those kind of topics, we would recommend that you listen to this episode uh, when you are in the right headspace. We've tried to record this episode a couple times, and it's a cursed episode. Uh, well, <laughs> um, so while there are many, many examples of romanticized unhealthy relationships, we're basically highlighting some of the ones that we've either personally romanticized or else we notice a lot of fans view as like, quote unquote, couples goals. Um, we're not shaming anyone who grew up enjoying any of these fandoms or who currently likes them. All three of us like different ones that were featuring throughout the episode. Um, like we recognize that like, basically we are all like, you know, grew up on watching the same types of things like Disney, for example, is like a huge company. So those things just have a huge impact on your life. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into the episode with the number one that I feel like we're all introduced to at the earliest stages of our life. Mm -hmm. So why don't you take it away, Danielle? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, Disney movies are obviously like amongst the first romantic relationship films that young children, especially cisgender girls, end up viewing and often idolizing. Yeah. And you think about it, there aren't that many um, examples in media of like protagonists that focus on young girls mm -hmm. and so like disney does does that when like not a lot of other properties might yeah definitely like properties are getting better about it but at least when we grew up it was mm -hmm. very like this is what you if you want to see girls this is what you see yeah. um it's also disney is kind of like a false safe logo so like parents don't feel like they have to really talk to their children about those movies they feel like they can just like kind of put them on and be like mm -hmm. these are okay because they're not usually like like overtly violent and, and things right. like that um they should be held to kind of higher standards so really like honestly like <laughs> anything we talk about if you really like talk to your kids about them then it the impact will be very different than if you don't which we right. talked about previously. So, so first off, so um, studies actually show that young cis boys who watch Disney movies are actually more helpful and have better body esteem. I guess because they usually are watching like hyper masculine superhero uh, shows and things like that, which that makes sense to me. Right. Um, uh, like outside of Disney, you mean? Yes. Okay. Disney princes are still like. Obviously, their bodies are, like, pretty fucking in shape, but they're not necessarily, <laughs> like, they're not, I mean, other than, like, Gaston, they're not normally, right, like, right. Uh, and yes. Gaston is a villainized yes. kind of, so, like. And, and when you think about the the media that was out at that time, a lot of it was very, very testosterone-heavy. You think about yes. shows like He-Man, G.I. Joe, 
I don't know, Skeletor. I don't like Skeletor. Sorry, I just I don't remember all of it. But like, is, is that buff skeleton? It really was a buff skeleton, though. Oh. <laughs> but like, you think about like how polarizing those two are when it comes to like the portrayal of being a man in a Disney film. Yeah, of that time versus like the cartoons that were out that were also targeting boys at that time. Yeah. I mean, probably the worst effect or the worst, yeah, the worst effect that a a young boy would get from watching a Disney movie is that, is that of like the princess and the the girl needs to be saved. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is obviously something also young girls are internalizing, Mm -hmm. um, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, So the, the first thing I want to talk about Disney is the idea that like you must be pretty and thin to be loved, which is something that is predominant amongst all of their princesses the like merida is the first princess that they introduced that is not rail thin mm-hmm. but then when they released a doll of her they made her incredibly thin and it was boycotted right it's a problem it's a huge problem <laughs> um do you guys have any commentary on that did it affect you at all <laughs> oh that definitely growing up watching disney films i absolutely felt as though if I did not embody that that body type, then I would be deemed less attractive. And it's already hard enough growing up as a black girl in Brooklyn of Caribbean descent. You're not you're already a step behind because you're not white. You don't have blonde hair. You don't have straight hair. You don't have wavy hair. So like you're not gonna look like them no matter what. And you just kind of you feel as though you have to mirror your life to being like this princess and. For you, that's never going to happen, and it does end up taking a toll on like your self-esteem because you see these films and you see all the other media that then mimics those films, and yeah. it's never something that looks like you. So yeah. you're never going to look that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as someone who just realized that they might have body dysmorphia, <laughs> like, <No>. that's- <laughs> like... Yeah, you do. <laughs> but like, I'm like, oh, shit. It's like it's permeated into every single yeah. thought, every single inter- social interaction, every yeah. single time I look in the mirror. So, yeah, I would say it's had a bit of an effect. So, yeah. no, yeah. you do. And even like as an adult, I hear so many other women joke like, haha, I wish I was skinny as XYZ or as XYZ princess. And it's like, they're not real. It's not <laughs> yeah. a real person. Yeah. You would yeah. physically have to remove ribs and bones out of your body to have that body type. I don't want to stray onto Barbie, but uh, just real <laughs> yeah. quick, like it's funny when people like idolize Barbie because if Barbie was a real woman, she, she would not would be, be able monster. to stand. She wouldn't she be able to stand. Right. <laughs> she would be a monster. <laughs> Which P.S. Barbie is actually like really cool now and really inclusive, and I right. actually do stand Barbie pretty hard now. But at a time, it was yeah. like, what the fuck. Anyway, um, so another concept is love at first sight. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the characters, a lot of the princesses we see literally marry the first man that they ever meet. Right. Usually it's while they're on like an adventure. So like they're all their feelings are like very chaotic and it's within days of meeting them. So like this really mm-hmm. does confuse the concept of love and lust. It really did for me really, really badly. I definitely had like, what I called Prince Eric syndrome growing up. What? Prince Eric. So Prince Eric uh, is the prince from Little Mermaid, obviously. 
I just very, I just very quickly fell in quote unquote love, but it was actually lust with boys that looked like Prince Eric. <laughs> okay, oh All right. I guarantee you, at least one person messages us and says, "Oh my same. god, I've That's had this so conversation funny. many times." <laughs> okay. Oh no! <laughs> right. Love takes time. Later, most Disney movies take place over like what, like three days or something. Yeah, and they're like married a, a week at most. Yeah, so honest, they should have ex boyfriends, honestly. And but I they think don't. Pa- but they don't. And I think part of it is the idea of purity. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Oh yeah. If you have ex boyfriends, probably there there isn't any there's there's no purity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also, virginity is a social construct construct to add value to a woman, so fuck that. (laughs) Right. I'm not saying it's true, but that's that's the idea. Yeah. For most of my, you know, most of my life, I was going to say up until college, but that's a lie. I still (laughs) was like falling head over heels as soon as I met somebody. And you know what? I still do. And I've come to learn and accept that that's the person I am. But I also, like, I had to unlearn all the things that I had learned as a child about what it means to actually meet someone and love someone and care for somebody. Will Mm -hmm. I still care for them with my entire heart? And do I fall way too hard and way too fast? Yes, absolutely. But now I'm not doing it, like, thinking they're going to mean the world to me after one day. Because... yes. You don't know these. You don't know this person. You don't know. <laughs> like, people change over time. And not only that, you have to get to know people over time. You know, I, I also feel like it um, it creates the idea in your head that their concept of you is more important than your actual opinion of you. Um, so, like, a lot of times when someone is going on a date, like, we've talked, we've talked about this, like, you're like, oh, I hope this person really likes me, instead of thinking, right. like, I hope I like this person. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like this is something that kind of leads to that. And I, yeah, I've heard so many, like, I've heard stories about people being like, oh, I didn't like him at first, but like, but then I <laughs> fell in love with him. I'm like, how oh, the fuck oh, did we're that happen? About that too. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about that. Disney, you did a lot to us. <laughs> I hate those stories so much where it's like, he kept trying, so I'm like, mm. What I do like is when you both hate each other and then you fall in love. Right. <laughs> but that's, yep. that's yep. just what I like to read. Anyway. I, I will I will say, I'm going to out Ben right now. Ben was mean to me when we first met. For like, Legally? Oh, but that yeah. was years ago. But Well, he was... I was I was nice to him constantly. Okay. And he was not... And he was mean to me. He was just like, I'm not going to be your friend. What? And then... And then one day he gave me the best apology that anyone has ever given me in my entire life. And I was like, maybe I have a crush on this boy now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then I had a crush on him for years. And then we started dating and got married six months later. But that's very, I don't know. That's very. uh, To be fair, you knew each other for a very long time, right? Yeah, we knew each other for like five years before we started dating. But the first like year or two of that, he he was mean to me. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Interesting. But a really good apology. A really good apology wins me over every time. Okay, if you say so. Um, Friendship wise too. I love okay. apologies. I love apologizing. <laughs> um, 
Uh, so y- yeah, you were talking about like ex boy ex boyfriends right. and um, well, yeah, whatnot. <laughs> what, one of the reasons why a lot of them don't, yep, is because of their ages. Yeah. Snow White, for example, <laughs> is fourteen years old when she marries her prince, who is twenty years old. Yikes! Yeah. the The oldest princess is Elsa, at twenty one, which is a pretty damn new. Movie in Disney right. terms. Is not old, and she yeah. do, and she, she doesn't, doesn't have. have she does. I mean, she's a queen technically, but uh, <laughs> and she doesn't have. She's ace in our heads, so <laughs> or arrow. Um, Tiana yes. and her prince are at least of the same age range, nineteen yes. and twenty. Mm-hmm. Just so much um, better, thank God. Yeah, but a lot of them are real fucked up in age. Mulan, for example, is 16, and she marries a 28-year-old. You know, I didn't really, I didn't. Yep, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to wreck your child. <laughs> this is one of those situations where if you are someone in high school or younger, and there is a grown-ass man talking to you, and they are at least, they're, if they're more than five, six years older than you, it's because no woman their age or no one else their age wants to deal with their shit. They are a bum. And if he's trying to talk to you, you tell on them. And you tell, tell on everybody. Them. Tell because, on them every time. Because no, he's not coming to you saying you're mature for your age. He's coming Ugh. to you to groom you because nobody else wants to put up with him. So he's teaching you how to put up with him. And that is the start of an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, I I was like seeing but not yet hooking up with someone who was like 15 years my senior when I was like 16 and then when I was like 18 he was like wow you really have like a woman's body now when we Yikes started like Rudy. actually hooking up and I was like Yikes but in my head I was, like, I was like yeah I am a woman right <laughs> you know what I mean cuz right. I was like, you're it's you're you're young at that age you don't you don't realize that you should not be dating someone 15 years older than you and i for a long time thought that i was in a healthy relationship before i realized i'm not being satisfied in any way possible with things i want to be doing and accomplishing in life and it feels as though like i if i'm constantly having to talk to my partner and compare my relationship to every other healthy relationship and they just come back to me say well i'm not like that it's like well you could at least try for me because i'm sitting here wasting my time and i'm like this and he was also 14 years my senior and i'm like nobody dated you in your age range because you're fucking crazy because they can see i'm sorry but they can see like the things that you will not do for anybody and you just want someone to be there and put up with you and that's not fair and that is not a relationship that is a babysitter for an abuser yeah so just some factoids, two-thirds of people who marry that are between the age 15 and 22 wind up divorcing. It's also fucking rape to marry someone who's 14 or 15 or 16 years old and in your in the, your 20s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, your brain is not actually fully developed until around 25-ish. Recent research has been found that adult and teen brains work differently. So adults think with their prefrontal cortex the brain's rational part. That's where basically uh, the brains respond to situations with good judgment and awareness of long-term consequences, whereas teens process information with the amygdala, which is the emotional part, Mm. which is why it's so problematic when someone who is 
in their late 20s dates someone much younger because yeah. your brain is actually formed differently. So you are it is a total like power play. <laughs> right. Someone mentioned grooming earlier and yes. I wonder if a lot of people even know what that is. Can you explain it a little bit? As I understand it, it's usually when a uh, older person interacts with a younger person yes. and um uses their naivety uh naive <laughs> it's like they're they're using their naive naivete to build trust yeah. and not only that it's like keeping it things secret like saying you're my friend saying you're mature for your age and keeping like this relationship going until they're old enough to be with you and then usually sexual acts don't happen during grooming they're basically preparing you to be with them yes right and usually it's like kind of like when you're young, and this could be pretty much any age as a teenager or younger, um, you are, you're still growing and you're still forming like the paths in your brain or whatever. And they help you form those paths yes. to make you like be like sexually attracted to them specifically, or they just like create these patterns in your brain so that you become ready for them. And I think what's so hard, especially if you're younger, knowing that, knowing now what I didn't know then about like the way your brain develops, it's hard to distinguish grooming from romance. You think that they're doing these nice things because they actually care for you, or instead they're just preparing you to like. They're shaping you. Yes. Well, it's also like no teenager in the world wants to hear that their brain isn't fully developed and they're not, you know. Right. It's <laughs> and they're not yes. thinking the same way as an adult, right? Which are like it, it's a fact that they are not, but it's very it's a very difficult concept for a teenager to internalize because it just it comes off it comes off uh, like an asshole if you say it to a teenager. A bit, so, yeah. Like you can't. It's you know. Yeah, you got to be a real self aware teenager, which is uh, I don't know about that. So <laughs> don't know too many of those. <laughs> yes. So. Another concept is that single women who are in their mid-twenties or over are basically villains. That's and their me, motive, baby. Their motive <laughs> is usually uh, jealousy. Right. So, like, think about, like, Ursula or Maleficent or, um, like, the Evil Queen or uh, Cinderella's stepmother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or, like, uh, her sisters, yes. even, who are, like, you know, approaching their, like, twenties or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they are. Yeah. Well, they're they're um they're not beautiful and they're oh. like approaching their twenties. So right. they are villains Spinsters, and they mean? deserve to be unhappy. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I will oh. say that one of my favorite movies where the princess it is a Disney movie. Does it I feel like it's very underrated and doesn't get enough credit. Well, it's not Enchanted. a cartoon, right? It's a or cartoon it's a and live cartoon. action. It's it's a mix. Okay. It's a mix and it's enchanted. And the princess in that is actually 33 years old. What's up? What's up? She's 30. <laughs> I'm 33. <laughs> Palindromes. Um, she's 33. And she learns what it means to date before choosing to get married. And she becomes a really good stepmother. And, like, Are you talking about the Anne Hathaway movie? or No. no. This is with um, Amy Adams. Yeah. Oh. Patrick Dempsey? Or is, yeah, okay. Patrick Dempsey, who, God, he must be much older than her. 
Super hottie. Much older than her. <laughs> yes. But at least I'm she's sorry, 33. I'm I'm thinking of Ella Enchanted. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that movie. Oh, that's a blast from the past. That is a blast. Talk about, sorry, d- real quick diversion. That's the word I was looking for, quick diversion. Uh, Anne Hathaway in that movie literally does not have control of her body. And uh, eventually, do you know that movie? It's like they could say something and she'd have to do it. She's <sighs> cursed like to always to listen to what people always says. Do, yeah, always do whatever anyone says. And not everyone knows that, but her family knows that. And like the hey, the woman, <laughs> the the other older woman in her family know that and control her that way. And like she's like cursed to kill somebody, but she d- eventually doesn't. And I don't remember what the how it ended, but I I remember thinking it was such a fun movie, and it was a book first. Um, but I just I'm just thinking about autonomy, the theme of autonomy. And how that is like a literal interpretation of that. Well, Jenny, studies show (laughs) that that those with full autonomy, aka the ability to do whatever you want and not be fucking controlled like Ella Enchanted, um, are the happiest. Happier than married people, happier than anyone. Uh, Studies show that single people are no less happy than people who are married. Uh, and they are happier than those who are divorced. And studies also show that you get happier with age. So you are not going to become a villainous shrew if you are 21. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> going back to having bodily autonomy, Brave might not be the most perfect example, but in that movie, she does choose not to marry one of the many men presented from her clans based on some strength competition and shows her own skill set in archery because she is good at that. And she does want to have control over her life, over her body and over who she chooses to marry. And what ends up happening because she takes control of her life and her future is that she ends up building a better bond between her and her mother and also mm-hmm. make making better ties within her neighboring clan, strengthening her kingdom. Another problem with Disney movies is that there is a lack of consent, especially yeah. when princesses first meet their princess. And really, it's when the princes meet the princesses because the princesses aren't awake for it. Yeah, two entire <laughs> Disney movies uh, romanticize kissing a woman while she is unconscious. Yep. Yep. And that and that's, that's how too, we will fall in love. That's two too many but it's definitely one too many because i confuse the two movies so much because why would that happen in two movies yeah that's too many movies to have that happen yep damn yeah it um and i mean we're we're not gonna end up talking about star wars later because we just had a star wars episode but uh star wars is technically disney now so i just wanted to (laughs) say real quick that like this is like reinforced by like han and leia like Han forcing a kiss on Leia when she was like literally saying, like, go away. Like, I don't want to be around you. Mm-hmm. And they are a super romanticized couple. I mean, my husband and I have wedding rings based on them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. Another really uh, horrible trope is the happily ever after clause. It basically teaches or tries to teach you that. Falling in love will erase your traumatic childhood, which obviously will not happen 
No, it will not. And if anything, you bringing all that into a new relationship yes. makes a relationship harder. It also teaches you that you need a marriage to get out of whatever situation you're in and make your life better, which does not work. Like, growing up, you assume, okay, marriage is the answer to all of the problems I have. And even I've thought about that, and I've considered, like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to get married before I'm 25, and then I'll have this fairy tale <laughs> life. And I'm like, did that happen? No, because I'm obviously 28 now. Bold statement. Walt Disney Groom does all for abusive relationships. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it just yeah it creates a fantasy of being rescued. Marriage is very hard, no matter how much you love your partner, and it is constantly work. You constantly have to work on your own issues, and you constantly have to work on issues together because you're two separate people bringing two separate things to the table, and Disney movies do not teach that. <laughs> They're no. like, kiss, and yeah! Anyway, <laughs> um... Another problem that goes straight into this is that a lot of the marriages start in deception. Like, The Little Mermaid, Cinderella, Aladdin, Mulan, Tiana, like Princess and the Frog, all of them lie to their partner, or the person who ends up being their partner. And right. if you are in a relationship that is going to work, it needs to be an honest, open communication. Yes, absolutely. In defense, but not in total defense of Princess and the Frog, Naveen's total trash in the beginning. Naveen lied to her for more than three quarters of that movie. Did he? I feel like he came out like as soon as like as soon as they got into the bayou, which is like maybe a third half the But either way, he does come clean to Tiana and lets her know, and then they ended up they end up do trying to work together to fix this curse. They all end up coming clean. Like yes. Ariel comes clean to Eric. At Eric's, uh, you know, almost wedding. <laughs> that is- <laughs> to okay, another woman he falls in love with at first fucking sight. Um, like, Aladdin comes clean to Jasmine. Like, they all come clean at some point. Like It's like their if their hands were not pushed, it would not have happened. Yeah, but this falls into the last trope that I want to talk about with Disney, which is loving someone for what's inside, which can actually cause people to stay in abusive relationships. It is probably best seen in Beauty and the Beast, because, like, all of the townspeople are like, yeah, Gaston's the fucking best. You should totally get with Gaston, even though he's, like, a total piece of shit and, like, throws her books, like, in the water and everything. And then they're like, and then all the, like, all the servants of the Beast are like, the Beast is the best, even though he's literally screaming at her that she can starve if he doesn't do what she says, and he literally locks her in a tower. Yeah. Well, not even in a tower. She was in a oh, jail sorry, cell before, and the servants were like, it's cold. Oh, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, no, no you're right, you're right. She lo- He locked her father, her old going senile father in a tower, and then he was like, you're pretty, so you can wander the castle. Uh- <laughs> yeah, no, so- the entire Beauty and the Beast situation is, is absolutely abusive in Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome, and it's it's that tired trope of, you can fix a man, you just gotta stay with him, and if you stay with him long enough, he'll be better. And so many people get like get caught into that, where it's like, I'm gonna stay with this person because I can see the good in them, and if I'm with them long enough, and if I teach them enough things, they will be inherently good. And I'm like, or they will be a better person. And sometimes, I'm not even gonna say sometimes, a lot of the times, that's just not the case. People are who they are. And it's unfortunate But 
if this person is abusive and yelling at you and telling you you can starve, there's... I understand that Belle in this situation is trapped and she can't leave because she traded her feed them for her father, but IRL... Fuck that. The Beast is not going to that town to take the father back. If Belle escaped, Belle would be fine. But uh, <laughs> what is Stockholm Syndrome? Um, okay, or- I can tell you. <clears throat> yeah, thank I, you. Well, I listened to a podcast about it. Uh, it started one day in Stockholm. There was a bank robbery. God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's when, on it. okay. <laughs> it's usually it's usually when someone kidnaps um, another person, and that person who's been kidnapped uh, becomes a, sympathetic, uh, attached, empathetic, attached to the kidnapper. Usually over a pretty short period of time. In the specific case that it's based on, the name is based on. It was a bank robbery, and the people who are held hostage became attracted and emotionally attached to these robbers, which is, like, something that also happens, I'm sure, in, like, relationships or just, like, not even just, not, like, not just, like, romantic ones, but just any kind of, like, even a boss and employee situation. Boss employee. It can can happen in a lot of relationships. Friendships. With any kind of power dynamic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just quickly wanted to say that, um... I actually I actually don't think people are necessarily they are who they are and won't ever change and anything like that but I do believe that no, no one will change for you and you are not responsible for changing anyone and if someone is abusive they need to leave they need to leave and do that work on their own like that is thank you that is a so better like, way so like there it. are people who like are capable of growing past that and doing the work but they cannot do it with the person they are abusing right it's not your job it's not healthy for either party Mm -hmm. next fandom we're done with disney disney (laughs) fucked us up real good so we had a revelation we all still cosplay it but whatever go (laughs) yeah i am doing a cosplay this year with my friend you can you can like something while acknowledging the problems yes absolutely exactly so on to the next fandom which i learned i'm the only one that has taken part in this fandom on this podcast. Doesn't surprise me, though. That's okay, but it's a big one, so... It's a big one, and it's Twilight. (laughs) Of course. Shut up. I know. I'm not (laughs) saying shut up to you. I'm just, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? You were young. I was young. Tell us about Twilight. (laughs) Tell... Okay. (laughs) It's honestly my guilty pleasure now. It's basically unhealthy because she is in an unhealthy relationship with just about everyone around her, but more specifically with the two male love interests that she had. Edward, her boyfriend, fiancé, caregiver, vampire, and then Jacob, the werewolf hottie. (laughs) Ah. So, the premise of Bella and Edward's relationship is very, very, very... It's extremely codependent, um... It's codependent, it's possessive, overall unhealthy. So so the movie books series start with Edward taking note of Bella, Bella taking note of Edward. He becomes intrigued and then proceeds to stalk her while mm-hmm. she doesn't know she's being stalked. So he would break into her house and watch her sleep, follow her around town, watching her just about everywhere. 
when they do finally end up together, he is very possessive. He does not want her going certain places, doing certain things. She is super codependent and refuses to do anything without him. And within this series, they actually romanticize Bella's depression because he leaves. So he leaves and instead she goes into this really bad depression for months. And all you, it's the way it's portrayed. It's like, oh no, she just misses him a lot. Oh, it's okay. She just doesn't want to eat because she loves him. Oh it's God. okay. She just wants to become a vampire so they can be together forever. And at no point in this situation is anybody offering her real viable help to get out of this this very dark right. like this very dark place that she's gone to she a romantic relationship cannot be your entire life right you can't really rely on that because it might disappear like you can't control that you have to have a balanced life exactly like you yeah. both have to be two people on your own and come together as a couple but still have like individual personalities. I didn't think at one point in the series, her mother, who's not really in it very often because her parents are separated, is like, you follow him around everywhere. And it's so, I keep saying unhealthy, but it's so upsetting because a lot of women, especially young women, like they look towards that series and thought, oh yeah, I want a guy like Edward. He would do anything to protect me. He would keep me safe. He would be like the perfect boyfriend because he's a vampire and he looks young, etc, etc. And we all have this like unspoken draw to vampires because let's let's say, let's get it. At the end of the day, vampires are hot. But they are <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. And Rice has groomed me to love vampires. Oh my god. <laughs> But his behavior is unacceptable. His behavior is absolutely unacceptable. And people don't realize that. Right. And, okay, so now, not only his behavior is unacceptable, now we go into Jacob's behavior, who constantly belittles Bella for not being with him romantically. He is, like, the, he is the poster boy for friend zone guy. <laughs> he... He belittles her for not wanting to be with him. He'll hang out with her and spend time with her. And then when he tries to make like a romantic pass and Bella reminds him, I'm with Edward, he'll start, he'll just get angry and leave. He'll be like, you shouldn't be with him. You should be with me. And it's like, are you guys not friends? Like, <laughs> just because you have another woman in your life does not mean that they are going to be romantically interested in you. And that's like that that whole situation. So And like the fact that Edward is I I don't know how 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 old is he? He's not as old as most vampires. He's only about a hundred years older than her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's quite an age gap there, Ooh. as you can imagine. Oh, Just dear. because he looks like a teenager doesn't mean he's a teenager. <laughs> he's got water oh, on my nose. Shit. <laughs> um it it seems to me that it perpetuates this uh, concept that like girls or just whoever should be owned by their romantic partner, right? Yeah. Um, which even the actor who plays Edward hates those movies. So. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he has- I'm sure the actress too. Yeah. And yes, both of them. Both of them. Uh, 
Yeah, and talking about, like, age gaps, where, like, there's a lot of relationships in media that you'll see where there's huge age gaps, like high school students and teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see that in Riverdale. You'll see that in Pretty Little Liars. And, like, Smallville is a bit of a throwback, but Smallville, yeah. that's... That's I remember watching Smallville as a teenager and being like the sixteen <laughs> year old girl, maybe younger, and the like the football coach who's definitely much older, and like I thought that was perfect. I was like, oh, this forbidden love affair, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm thinking back on it, and I'm like, that's really really bad. And one of the problems is that they look the same age. Yes, <laughs> so like you don't have that visual distinction of. She's a teenager. He's much older. And that's similarly with Riverdale. The actors who are cast are much older than the people they are portraying. So they don't, the age gap does not actually look like what it does. Like, I remember being in like sixth, in like, like seventh grade or whatever, and like talking to other girls about like which teacher was like the hot teacher. Um, which is like, right. that's like, on a, that's fine. Like, kids have hormones and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fine if the teachers are talking about which is the hot student, yes, yeah. which is a thing that does happen. Gross. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, like, okay, so here's another, a better example of the vice versa, where it's now a younger male and an older female. In Dear White People, the show, the young Troy, who is like, the star student that everyone loves is with Professor Hobbs, who is an older woman. And mm-hmm. she's a, she essentially started grooming him from a young age because his father worked at the school. So whenever he would have to go to school or have his then colleagues come over, she was around this young boy and flirting with a child and making romantic passes at the child. And it's one of those things that's very ignored within Within our culture, especially within Black culture, is older women yes. preying on young boys. And she is also in a marriage. She is married to her wife. <laughs> oh, what? I know. The <laughs> this was the first season, right? This was the first season. And I didn't know I ever got to watching the second season. But it's very depressing because you hear a lot of these stories of, of men saying, oh, yeah, I lost my virginity to this older girl. Oh, I find the first time I had sex with this older girl. Or when I was like 18, I had sex with this like hot, like they'd say, oh, it's like a hot cougar. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not appropriate. They should be looking at men their own age. Yeah, it's yeah. because Within men them. are, men's sexual experiences are celebrated and women's are shamed. Right. Um, and they don't realize that they're being preyed on. They think that because someone's attracted to them that it's it's important for their manliness. Not only do teenage girls, no. but our, I mean, our society in general has has great issues with the whole like like viewing like men who get raped as being raped. So, right. Yeah. So, like, obviously, the problem is that there's a, especially with student and teacher relationships, there's a power dynamic that, and a power imbalance because the teacher has con- usually or often does have control over the student's grades. And even if they're not a direct teacher, they still have influence in the school over other teachers teaches you that relationships should be secret, not out in the open. And it, it contributes to their power because if you do want to come forward at some point, you'll be like, well, nobody knew, so no one's going to believe me if I say anything mm-hmm. about this teacher. Because they've done everything they can to protect their name. It also yeah. it, it also teaches like 
young people that relationships relationships happen during like high adrenaline times and like mm-hmm. adventure seeking times and not just like like shows like the bachelor and stuff like that like promote this idea that like your dates mm-hmm. need to all be like very extravagant instead of just like sitting and getting a cup of coffee cuz like you can't do that in a teacher and student no. romantic relationship okay. because the teacher knows that they are not supposed to be with you yeah cuz they are pedophile um, <laughs> yep <laughs> correct yeah it also fucks with your reputation and which has a huge huge impact on mental health it does mm-hmm. especially as a young teenager your yourself I don't want to say for every teenager, but a lot of times, like, the way you deem yourself worthy is the is based on how other people perceive you or place value on you. And if that's diminished or tarnished, then it's hard to come back from that. And it's hard to then perceive value or self-worth in yourself because of all the things that have transpired and happened. I mean, just being bullied in general has, like, deeply traumatic effects on the brain. So is there anything else you want to say about that, Jenny? Nope. So the next one we're going to talk about is Harley and Joker, which... There is a lot that can be said about the relationship and power dynamics of Harley and Joker, and we definitely want to save, like, the Harley aspect for another episode and go very much more in-depth with her character, because she's she's Danielle and I's favorite character, or of our favorite characters, and we can go on and on and on about her, but... Well, it's funny. I would actually love to have a Harley episode where we do not talk about the Joker at all. Right. Which is like, you know, what you would do in real life with someone's, you know, abuser. You just fucking eliminate them from your brain and you don't talk about them around them. Um, So I think that would be really fun to do an episode on Harley as Harley and not the Joker's girlfriend. Because my God, she is always talked about as the Joker's girlfriend. And it kills me. I don't know how. I don't know if it kills you too. No, <laughs> I honestly don't even consider her to be the Joker's girlfriend. She's not anymore. Well, yeah, that. But like, maybe Ivy's. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so there's like, I mean, there's obviously like tons of people who cosplay them, which like, I understand why people like because DC, like Paul Dini and Bruce Tim created this character, and they successfully romanticize them and a lot of people i mean people people love cosplaying couples just in general yeah but this couple is so toxic and so romanticized anyway that it's deeply problematic problematic um so like and i will say it's totally okay to cosplay as this couple we're not trying to shame anyone who do love cosplaying as this couple or as Harley and the Joker, especially if you are in a relationship. But I would say as long as your relationship isn't a mirror of theirs and you're both in a consenting and loving and caring like relationship with your partners, then that is totally okay. And as long as you acknowledge that the relationship between Joker and Harley yes. is unhealthy. Yeah, for me personally, I need... I need to also know that you can acknowledge that that relationship is unhealthy because I've met many people who are just like, no, this is my, like, Mr. J. And it's like, Ugh. it's like, okay, but I need you to understand, like, you don't want your relationship to be like this. I get it. Like, we were trained to think that's what 
That's what's romantic. At least I definitely was. I deep I romanticized Harley and Joker very deeply. Um, you're not the only one that has. And I think from a young age, girls are taught to believe that if a guy is mean to you or bullying you or picking on you or hitting you, mm-hmm. it's because they like pulling you. Pulling your pigtails. Yes. Yeah, pulling yeah, exactly. And it's because um a lot of the times we're told like boys will be boys mm-hmm. and they don't actually get in trouble when they do these like I don't know how to wear like casually violent things towards women. Mm-hmm. Um, like snapping your bra. I've heard of that as yes. a thing that boys do. Yes. That's literally <laughs> abusive. Like that's bad. Yes. And it's something that like if a girl tattles on, like, like it's like, it's fucked up that I even have to say tattles on. Like, right. like if they, <laughs> like snitched if, on. if they go <laughs> like- to an adult and say, Hey, a kid in my class snapped my bra. They are basically treated as if, they're the problem. And like, not well, the you shouldn't have boobs anyway. Like, it's, 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 <laughs> that's how it feels. Because I've been yeah. there in that predicament, and it's like, well, was your bra showing, or was your bra strap showing, or can they see it, or why would they do that to you, or like they would never do yeah. something like that to you, sweetie. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Arkita and I are going to give some examples of abuse within their relationship from different like comic books and movies and whatnot. Um, but and I'm just here. <laughs> I mean, Jen, I mean, you can, Jen, if you want, but I don't, I don't know if you... <laughs> I don't know any. Okay, that's fine. Um, but, like, a, lo- a lot of people have said that, like, Harley has a form of Stockholm Syndrome, um, even though, like, she's technically, like, I think, like, in some co- in some comic books and whatnot, she's, like, who will break the Joker out of prison. So it's uh, funny to... Well, in a way, she, but- she is trapped in there with him because it's her job she is trapped in there she often ends up having to go back into arkham because of him and a lot of times he abandons her in there um but basically like she was a young intern that he manipulated to fall in love with he was basically i think her first case in arkham yikes yeah like the people in charge should have not allowed her to do that they should have been like yeah this is um not a good idea for like for someone to be doing out. alone unsupervised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She should have been supervised. Whatever. A bunch of men wrote the comics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most popular examples is in in Mad Love when uh basically Harley Harley captures Batman uh thinking that her and the Joker will be able to live out their life together because she views our relationship very, very differently than the Joker does. And the Joker gets jealous that Harley is actually able to capture the Batman, and he literally throws her out a window. Yeah. And part of the joke, part of it is that like she she captures him and she puts him in a tank upside down so that the piranhas that are swimming around him look like they're smiling. So it's like a joke, and she thinks that like the Joker will love it, but he mm-hmm. fucking hates it because he's not the one who thought of it. Right. But then she she ends up accepting his apology afterwards. Another example would be in the Batman the Animated Series, which is my, that was my first introduction. Actually, I think that was everyone's first introduction because that's, that's where she was. Yes, introduced. that's where she was introduced. But that was my first introduced introduction into the comic book world. Um, was in Girls Night Out was the episode where Ivy is telling Harley that you should never ever let a man talk to you like that or treat you like that, and. It's very telling that this is an abusive relationship because she does try to defend and be like, no, it's not like that. No, he really does care. And it's like he 
does not care about you at all. He really can only feel any kind of emotion or attachment to the Batman because to to him, she's just a plaything, somebody that she can he can keep around whenever he needs something, and that's he's essentially just a narcissist. He is a narcissist. I also think it's important to note that even if he did care about her, that wouldn't absolve him of the blame of abusing her. You know what I mean? You can still very much care about the people you abuse. Yeah, so like a comic book that definitely uh, fucked me up and that I highly romanticized for an extremely long time um, is her her actual like introduction into the comic book world, the Harley it's just called Harley Batman Harley Quinn. Um, mm-hmm. And in it, he actually shows that he or he says he does care about her. So he like convinces her to meet him or well, he, he convinces her to like go into a rocket and then he like blasts the rocket off and says like, OK, like I'm basically going to kill you now. So she like escapes and then she leads Batman to him to like get revenge and she's like beating him up and then he's like would it help if i said i'm sorry and then the next panel is them kissing and hugging and her saying yeah and that is and so like and that really framed my brain for a long time to be like yeah it's okay as long as they say they're sorry right and that is (laughs) that is trauma bonding you're causing this traumatic experience to a person and then making it up I don't remember what it is off the top of my head or like how to describe it. Do you want to just Google trauma bonding? Sure. When you say trauma bonding, it makes me think when you put someone in a terrible situation, but you're also the person who takes them out of that terrible situation. The the relief that comes with getting out of the situation is also associated with you, associated with the abuser. Like that's what, that phrase kind of reminds me of yeah i mean at the, so like at the end of that comic she writes batman a letter saying like oh like like oh sorry batman but like joker's the best and like we made up and everything is great and we're we're in love again and this and that which is something that people in abusive relationships do like they just like they'll make an, they'll make excuses for their abuser and then as soon as the honeymoon stage is back which we'll talk about later they it's as if the Abuse never happened. Right. So I think this is the best explanation I've seen so far for trauma bonding. It's a narcissist cycle is an addictive pattern that fuels a need for validation while conditioning their partner to believe their toxic behaviors are normal. This cycle can be summarized in three stages, infatuation, devaluation, and rapid discarding of their partner. Then the loop becomes toxic as the partner begins to crave infatuation that mark the beginning of the relationship, propelling them to quickly forgive and do anything to get the partnership back to a place of good feelings. Yeah. As the pattern yeah. repeats, a narcissist leverage leverages inconsistent positive reinforcement reinforcement to lure their partner back. Yep. Yes. So yeah. that, that that's what I mean by trauma bonding, and I'm like, that sounds that sounds very accurate to what he's doing to her. Yes, and. So in the comics, do they portray the relationship as? It is extremely abusive. It is even in more recent comics where they've tried. They, it's always been abusive, but in more recent comics, they are saying this is actually abusive. Okay, because sometimes you gotta say it outright, or else. Well, it's like, it's like a lot of people are just like in denial about it being abusive, and I don't know how, or or else they a lot of people will say that Harley is just as abusive as he is. And it's like, 
that it's not true. It's like she's acting in self defense a lot of times. Right. Like Harley mm-hmm. is definitely violent, but towards the Joker, she's acting in self defense. <laughs> like, right. Um. I mean, I I know that in the New Fifty Two, apparently they did not make it as obvious that the relationship was actually abusive. I'm sorry. Did I say New Fifty Two? I meant I meant Suicide Squad. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Suicide Squad definitely. Yes, they did not. They did make it so that she was like, like his property though. Like right. her jacket said, like property of Joker, and put in on the collar and all those stupid have, fucking tattoos. And like, I have a feeling that Birds of Prey male is, gaze. I have a feeling that Birds of Prey will kind of uh, get yes. rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yes. Very big difference. Um. Yeah, but new new fifty two. I I know that there's a scene where like the Joker shows like shows back up because he realizes Harley is moving on and he like beats her up and like changes her to the, to a wall and like sets her hyenas on her and like there's a bunch of apparently like corpses dressed as Harley like next to her it's like which is like I think it's good that they're showing like blatantly how abusive he is towards her I thought but like I think that there are their original relationship was such a powerful, realistic, even if it's like over the top with like giant mallets and stuff, depiction of abuse because like people don't believe it. Right. Even though it's right there and it's extremely frustrating. So like I actually, it's it's hard to vocalize exactly what I want to say about that, but it's, it's, it's interesting to to think about their relationship. Um, are there any other examples you want to give? I mean, there's a shit ton. There is, there's so many and the list goes on outside of like Batman and the animated series. I know we had talked about like a year ago when we had our um, interview for um, Geek and Sundry. And I was talking about how in that, this was in the Harley comic where she does show that she's leaving him. And this was, I think the first or second issue of either it wasn't new. I don't think it was new 52 and it could just have been rebirth. I don't remember which series it was, but it's, she'd had the last draw and this was in a very, I know they're all very blatant attempts at her life when he does abuse her, but this was like a very blatant attempt at her life where he tried to blow her up and she was like, oh, no, this isn't this isn't going to work. So she leaves and moves to Coney Island, starts running um, Coney Island. But it's it's one of those where she finally sometimes it, she finally realizes that she is worth more and she deserves more and deserves better and deserves happier relationships because the Joker is not going to give her any of that and will only hurt her and will only continue to hurt her. I want to talk about the cycle of abuse by Dr. Uh, Lenore Walker and give and how that like relates to Harley as well. So the first stage is the tension building phase, which like the victim feels like embarrassed and depressed and humiliated and things like that. Like often you hear like, Oh, I'm walking on eggshells or they're just like avoiding expressing feelings or they're like overly submissive or nurturing the partner feels like disgusted and self-righteous and jealous and they become verbally abusive and have like fits of anger and possessiveness. Um, This is obviously seen when Joker is like verbally abusing Harley and like making fun of her and whatnot while he's like scheming 
to like kill Batman. Um, the next phase would be the violent episode phase where the victim feels like frightened and helpless and trapped and they might try to protect themselves or they might hit back, which is something we see Harley doing, or they might like, this is when they might try to like actually like leave or like get help or anything like that. Um, and the partner Mm -hmm. feels enraged and again, like they're right and super frustrated. And this is when they actually become very violent. Um, people describe this as like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sure. Um, so like we obviously see this when the Joker is literally physically abusing Harley Mm -hmm. again while he's scheming about Batman because the Joker is obsessed with Batman. Um, Or or else, like, when his schemes are, like, failing or when hers are succeeding. Right. Because he gets very jealous about that. And then there is the remorseful honeymoon phase, which is when the the victim feels like – they feel, like, guilty and hopeful and in denial over the seriousness of the incident. And that's when they're also, like, giving uh, – making excuses for the abuser – um so yeah so like making excuses um they might be like isolated or withdrawn and they're like hoping that their partner will change so they go back to them uh and the partner is apologetic they're they seem remorseful they kind of like downplay or like forget about the degree of violence to kind of like gaslight the victim into thinking it wasn't so bad um so, like, they'll basically make promises to change or they'll blame someone else for the problem. So we see this when the Joker apologizes and Sweet talks Harley and, like, will call her, like, put in back and stuff like that. And once in a while, he'll, like, you know, like, like when he's apologizing or whatever, he'll say, like, oh, like, you're my girl and stuff like that, which will remind her of when she fell in love with him, which is, like, mm-hmm. all, like all she wants is, like, to be with him, so... Right. And just to share some statistics, um, on average, a victim will leave an abusive relationship seven times before actually leaving for good. And that's if, honestly, sometimes if they ever leave or if they are able to survive that relationship. Yes. According to BreakTheSilenceDV.org, there are several stages to actually leaving an abusive relationship. Um, the first and second stage are when you start start to not care for your abuser anymore and you start disconnecting emotionally from the abusive relationship. Um, the third stage is when you start noticing the effects of the abuse um, and you start making preparations to leave. And included on in that stage is actually leaving the relationship. Um, and stage four is when you go back to the relationship. Um, according to Jennifer Hardesty, a University of Illinois assistant professor of human and community development. Um, she she said that this stage includes a lot of back and forth. So survival, survivors need clarity, but they also want to be physically and emotionally connected again, which leads them to going back to the relationship. And the final fifth stage is actually leaving the abusive relationship and usually being gone for six months or more marks this last stage. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the goal is to eliminate the fourth stage, but it's, it's like, statistics have shown that it's, like, it's something that most people who are in abusive relationships need to do. They need to go back to their abuser at some point to, like, know that they are ready to leave. 
so some reasons why the victims will stay is um, love of the abuser. So like basically like they'll have nostalgia for the beginning of the relationship or for the good times. I think a lot of people think that abusive relationships are just like bad relationships, but they aren't. Like there are times when they are good and mm-hmm. and that is what some like a victim is thinking of when they are saying they are hoping that all of the times will end up being like those times. So like hoping things will change like promises made during the honeymoon stages um a sense of normalcy so like if someone grew up in an abusive setting that might be all that they know fear so it's really really hard to get out of an abusive relationship if your abuser isolates you or if they have access to your communications like your social media or your phone and they can read your messages and literally smash your phone. Right. Also, like, if someone has hit you once, your brain will assume that they will do it again. Also, a lack of support. So some people just straight up have no support system, which often happens because an abuser successfully has isolated them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other people have just been harshly judged for staying with an abuser, so they feel such a deep sense of shame that they feel like they don't have anyone that they can go to and who also will understand that fourth step if they like of them going back and then leaving. Yep. Because most people are are not very good at being understanding of that step. Because it's a, I mean it's a scary step. So I it's it's yeah. hard to see someone you love go back to their abuser, but it's unfortunately a necessary step. Mm-hmm. So the next fandom we're gonna talk about. Oh, all right. <laughs> Uh, we are going into Game of Thrones, and honestly, that entire series is just a, a <laughs> yeah. ton of unhealthy relationships, but one that. of the more popular and romanticized one is definitely Khal Drogo and Daenerys Targaryen. He a hottie, but, uh... I know. And <laughs> this is one of those moments where I'm like, oh, Jason Momoa, I love you so much, but Khal Drogo but- is literally awful, so... Have either of you read the books or watched it? I no. I only watched the first season, okay. so I know what you're talking about. All right, <laughs> I just watched the first ten minutes of the first episode, so okay. well, I think I can kind of infer. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> Jenny so there's knows like everything. A, there's many fucked up relationships in Game of Thrones, but this, in our opinion, is the most romanticized one. Yes, in the TV series, they age Daenerys up a lot, but within okay. the books. She is actually 13 years old at the time that she Yikes. is being married off to <laughs> Drogo, and he is 30. So there is a 17-year age difference. Yikes, a Rooney. Tell on him. Tell, yeah, this Tell is on him. I just need to reiterate. In this, in this situation, it is hard because she was sold into this marriage. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I know. It's really, it's really upsetting. I'm talking to the 13-year-olds out there now. Oh, yeah. Yes. If you yeah. are 13 and there's a 30-year-old man talking to you, he's not interested in you. He, he is a pedophile. He's creepy. He, if you are 13 to 20 and there's a 30-year-old man hitting on you, he's a pedophile. Quick story. I was I was playing. Oh God, I'm gonna sound like such a nerd. I was playing online chess, and I was talking while playing online chess. I was talking to this the person I was playing, and I was talking about wanting to go see MCR at like Bamboozle Festival. Oh my! And he God. was like, "Oh, I'll pay for you to go." And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> but again, that's 
how old are you? Like, I have no money. How old are I you? I was 13. I was like exactly. 13. Oh my god, I saw you meant this year. I forgot that I thought you meant like this. No bamboozle no, no, festival no. anymore. I know it was it was a long time ago. Long, that's when you said that. I was like, oh my god, when was that? <laughs> but again, this is they they know abusers and pedophiles and creeps like this they know that these chat rooms or these areas or these places where young young people exist are where they are and that's where they go and target you yeah my Mm -hmm. the first sexual experience that i remember was when i was 11 years old and in a chat room someone did the like age sex location thing which like i don't know i mean i don't know age difference if you guys like were in chat rooms or whatever but like i started talking to this dude and he convinced he convinced me to let him call me, which is like yeah, that's like older man wants to call me, and I let him do yeah. it because I was eleven, and it's like yeah. I'm not gonna tell him he can't do that. And I was on the phone with him, and he had me like do things to myself while on the phone with him. He was like, "I could be your boyfriend, don't you want like a high school senior as your boyfriend?" This person was probably definitely in like their thirties or something. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah, like this was. But even yeah. as a high school senior, also fucked up. I was 11 years old. Yeah. Um, and so like, I just remember like, like deep fear and deep shame that like he would call back again and like my like mom would answer the phone right. or oh, something no. like that. Yeah. And like just not want and like not telling her, not telling, I didn't tell anyone about this. It's actually the first time I'm telling this story and probably ever. Uh, so like, <laughs> Like That's a these lot. are real life situations that happen. <laughs> and I felt very upset that I did not speak up the other day. I was on the train and there was a mother and daughter, and this daughter this child couldn't have been more than twelve, thirteen years old. She was very young. And obviously this was a mother that was working very hard to try her best to be a good mom. But she the daughter was put in a situation where like I from what I can hear, because I was only on the train for one stop. And she had a friend that invited her over to hang out with this older gentleman. And the entire time, all I'm hearing is her mother saying, don't you ever do some fucking dumb shit like that again? You're hanging out with a fucking pedophile. Let me hear that he touched you or did anything to you. I'm going to hurt you and then I'm going to hurt him. You need to tell me right now if he did anything to you. Did he touch you? Because if I find out later, I'm going to fuck you up and I'm fuck him up. And in my head, I want to say- why would she tell her that? Yes. In my head, I'm like, okay- your daughter is already scared that she's been in this position and you're scaring her now because you are essentially being her bully and making yeah. it so she is in an uncomfortable position saying, no, nothing happened. No, nothing happened. Because how does she think you're going to react if you do tell her something has happened? Yeah, I thought I was going to get punished. Like, and, and I'm in no position to parent, but all I can say is for me being a child and growing up and knowing the things that I would never want to do as a parent and hearing what other people do as parents. I'm like, that's a learning experience. Not, that's and it's fucking t- bold to it's, threaten your child on the train. It's, that's too. Look, having kids Damn. is a fucking scary thing. And most people say controlling things out of fear. But holy shit, the damage it does to you as a kid it to does. hear your mom say she's going to beat you up if uh, or punish you or whatever if you come forward about sexual assault. Right. So, so yeah, back to anyway, Game of Thrones. Back to Game Sorry. of Thrones. Back to Basically, Game of Thrones. the case of Daenerys Targaryen, she's 13, Khal Drogo's 30. Her older brother has essentially sold her 
to this call to gain access to his army for of about 10,000 people so he can gain back the throne. But within this entire series, before her brother dies, he is also sexually abusive to her. He manipulates her. He has, in the books, and I apologize for being graphic, he's gone as far as to groping her breasts and saying, well, it's natural because we're Targaryens, so we can do these things because we are pure-blooded, which is incest. <sighs> and it's only because they're living with somebody who else who's also in charge of the autonomy of this woman that it doesn't ever get as far. And the only re- and this person, this master of the house, is keeping her pristine and pure away from her brother because her virginity is worth more to them to the call. That's that's yeah. one terrible that's aspect of this entire I just relationship. threw open my mouth. Ugh. But <laughs> the entire I feel as though the entire relationship between um Daenerys and Drogo, like the entire beginning of their marriage, their marriage night, their their consummation night is a rape scene. Yes. It she is. is not ready to have sex. She is obviously much younger than him, much smaller than him, he is able to physically overpower her and demand sex from her. Well, if I remember correctly, it's a rape scene. Like, she she did not consent to that. And then they tell her that she has to, like, learn how to, like, sexually entice him so that she, like, is his queen. Right. I think the scene goes, it was one of her servants saying, are you a slave? If you're not, then stop having sex like a slave. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? What? And it was like the only way that she could exert dominance within their relationship. Because that was the only time would be within the bedroom area. And that's that's the kind of thing that applies to real life. Because you'll often see like people's... Have I talked about this? Where men will say... Oh, she's the boss in the relationship when they're not at all, just because she like just because she can withhold sex maybe, and that's the only power they have, women have in in the marriage. Yeah, and that's like that's that sucks. I'm a very uh you know vocal feminist <laughs> everything woman, so I I have heard everything about how I am like the the boss of my relationship and it's like that's not no you want to be equal it's like no actually like my husband respects me and my body and my opinions mm-hmm. and you don't so yep good times and, and also <laughs> to that point of her then taking control in the bedroom mm-hmm. that is the only time that he ever shows any softness towards her because Throughout the entire series of Drogo's life with Daenerys, he is still aggressive with her. He's not kind to her except in small moments. He doesn't even make an effort to learn her language, whereas she has to be the one to like learn their tongue, learn their culture, and be of them. Yeah. And then this whole thing that I think is the reason why everyone romanticizes this relationship. Well, I feel like there's several reasons why. And one of them is they think that because Jason Momoa is such an attractive person, yes. that would never happen. Like, yes, abusers can be attractive. That does not make them any less abusive. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's a really dangerous thing to say, like, that person looks like or doesn't look like 
an abuser or a rapist. Right. Because anybody can be a rapist. And I mean, and a lot a lot of people are. <laughs> and a lot of attractive people are too. <laughs> that too. That too. And it's that whole thing where like, oh, they're so attractive. Why would they want to have sex with you? Or, oh, they're so attractive. They can have anyone else they want. Why would it be you? That yeah, whole... It's- it's because it's not about sex; it's about power. Exactly. Yeah. But I was going to say that within this relationship, there is no sudden love between Daenerys and Call. I what the entire time of me watching and reading this, and I'm like, she's doing this to survive. That's the only mm-hmm. reason. Like, there is no reason that she would. I won't even call it willingly have sex with this man because, like, there's no way for her to run. There's no way for her to go. There's no escape plan for her. She has to submit her body so that way he does not kill her. Yeah. And even in the series, they portray the rest of his Kalasar as rapists. Every time they seized a new village or seized a new yeah, land. Yeah, that's pretty fucking problematic. <laughs> they would go on about and raping the women in there. And it was not until they had already raped several women after the last the reason why he's dying that Daenerys is like, you cannot do this. And he's like, but this is, this is our culture. Why would you tell us no? And then he tells them to stop after they've already done this. But that's pretty problematic that the series depicted like the non-white people as people as oh, rapists. And as- then a white woman had to come in and like culturalize them. Right. Oh no, absolutely. I 100% so. think that's going to get way too off track if we start talking about yes. that. So is there anything else you want to say about just Daenerys and Kel? That's that's all I have to say about the toxic relationship between Daenerys and Jogo. Okay. The last Phantom we're, we're talking about is Harry Potter and it's Snape and Lily. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, my OTP is Snape and Lily. I will. And... <laughs> Leave this chat right now. Not Draco and Hermione? Um, anyway. <laughs> oh my god. So. I'm- More like Hermione's fist and Draco's face. Yes! <laughs> that is my favorite shit ever. Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. Snape, Severus Snape, is another poster boy for a friend zone guy. Like, Throughout the entire, he is the ultimate friend zone. He, yes, he is the ultimate friend zone guy. Also, for any anyone out there, the friend zone does not exist. If somebody no. has befriended you because because you are a friend with this person, does not mean that they owe you any kind of romantic or sexual relationship. Exactly. Uh, I think a large reason. So basically, so Snape is depicted like quite differently in the books versus the movies. I'll say, and also okay. Alan Rickman is such like, you know, a wonderful actor that I think people are just like, well, we love him. <laughs> but like, Snape is fucked up, man. Snape, I mean, like everything he does to Harry and Neville aside, right? Like, the literal abuse, yeah, li- yeah, um, hitting them in the head with books and stuff. He calls Lily a mudblood, like, which is yep. like. The ultimate fucked up term to call someone. Yeah. But like it's uh, pulling her pigtails. Right. But, <laughs> but no, not- it's, no, it, no, it's actually more like when someone cat calls you and you won't go and then you don't like react positively and then you're like, well, you're fucking ugly anyway. Right. It, it's it, more he, like that. Yes. It's like he throughout the entire series 
within the relationship of Snape and Lily, he refuses to accept their her boundaries that she's setting. He's like, she's like, I'm seeing James Potter. I'm friends with these people, and who P.S. also sucks, but. Yeah, James Potter is also problematic. <laughs> All your fans are problematic. <laughs> anyway, keep going, sorry. But she she rejects his advances constantly. And she's like, I only want you as a friend. I see you as a friend. And in turn, the way I see it as within this series, and I could totally be seeing this wrong, I see Lily's rejecting him as part of the reason he goes down the dark side or goes to join the Dementors or whatever. Not That is not entirely the reason. He was already on this path to darkness, but I think her saying that, and this is just me saying, like, him in his head, he's blaming her for this reason. Like, personally, I think Lily said, no, I am not wouldn't want to be a relationship you. After that, whatever choices he makes, those are his choices. I mean, having no friends is a pretty, um, it's pretty fucking, it's pretty depressing and fucks with your head a lot. And being bullied all the time, which is why I don't like James Potter, because he bullies Snape just to bully him. But no, Snape Snape doesn't actually respect Lily. And he uh, he's just fucking creepy. I'm sorry. <laughs> like no. Snape is creepy towards her. <laughs> like when when they find out that like when they keep, when she dies, like he cradles her dead body instead of picking up Harry and getting him the fuck out of there when Harry's still alive. Yes. That part bothers me so much because I'm like, there is a live baby there. And it shows that he honestly doesn't care enough. Like, if he really cared about her, he would care about her family. And Harry is her family. And the only reason that he ever took care of Harry or supposedly cared for him is because everyone guilted him into saying, well, he has her eyes. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. If he did, if nobody said that to him, if he was... If he looks 100% exactly like James, which is what is depicted like in the books, he looks like James except for Lily's eyes. He would not have helped Harry. Like, oh. And not only that, Lily die. Lily and James die because of Snape. He is the reason for their death. And then for him to still treat Harry like shit? No, (laughs) I'm sorry. No. He should be groveling at his feet. He really should. He's the reason his parents are dead because he was an informer. He told Voldemort about the prophecy. And because of that, Harry's parents are dead. He's caused so many traumatic events within this young boy's life. Like he is essentially the cataclysmic point of everything. Basically, he caused a lot of, he caused compounded trauma because he felt he was friend zoned. Yes. And people just, Love him and Lily always. <laughs> I think that it comes, it does come down to like the way he's ri- even the way he's written in the book. You you can absolutely hate him, but because we all love Alan Rickman so much, and the way that this actor and the way that the directors all chose to portray Snape, they wanted to make him a more empathetic character, which he absolutely is not. Yeah, yeah. The last thing we wanted to talk about are the signs that you are not in a healthy relationship. Um, I'm going to list them out. Basically, if there's physical violence, that's a super obvious yeah. <laughs> sign. When your partner is possessive, when they like don't like you seeing your friends or family, uh, when they keep track of where you go, when they try to control where you go. Um, isolation, once again, not letting 
you see your friends and family isolating you, so you're uh, they're the only person you you hang out with. Uh, manipulation when they control all your actions, when they convince you to do things that you are uncomfortable doing, um, when they gaslight you and make you question your own beliefs and opinions. And then another sign is when they belittle you, which is, I guess, uh, emotional abuse. When they sabotage you. Do you have an example of that, Arkita? Um, essentially, like, making it so that way you can't be successful or have healthy and su- successful relationships with other people. So things like showing up to your workplace. I think showing up to your workplace is the number one, like, super awful <laughs> thing that someone could do because it's... Like lying to your family and friends. Yes, that too. I mean, I don't yeah. necessarily even think it has to be with other people. Like, if you have, like, a big project coming up and they intentionally cause a huge fight. Yes. They're intentionally right. causing you fights. They're making you do other and things. And it's a pattern that they're doing that. Yes. Like, it's not just, mm-hmm. like, a one-time thing. Um, and when they deflect responsibility and don't take any of the blame for any of the fights you have or... Emotional trauma they've caused or... Not even not only taking blame, they're blaming other people. They're blaming things like substance abuse. They're blaming things like other relationships they've had with other people or or even going as far to blame their past. Yeah. Their past or going as far to blame you for everything because they don't want to be feel as though they're responsible for it. Yeah. And obviously there are aspects of the things we just listed that, you know, you can work through and like couples counseling and stuff like that but there are others that are that like either build up um or are more extreme and like we like i said before like that person will not be able to change their behavior with you right they're unwilling to make changes yeah or even they might think that they can but they they can't because you guys have you've established a pattern at this point and it's extremely hard for people to break out of an abusive pattern that is true. And not only that, like some t- another type of an unhealthy relationship is when you're asking, you're you're actually telling your partner that you need this time. And I will give an example and it's a very very personal example for me. I was with somebody and yes, we were both sexually active together. And we had stopped. We had all around stopped and he would it was basically, yeah. well, you stop having sex with me. And I'm like, well, I don't feel connected to you. Like, I'm not going to have sex with a person that I'm not connected to. Like, we don't do things together. We don't talk. We don't spend actual time together. He's like, well, I can only feel connection to you if I'm having sex with you. Wow. And I'm like, I'm physically telling you the things that I need in order to feel intimate with you because we aren't getting that in this relationship anymore and his retaliation was well i need to have sex in order to have that kind of connection in order to do these things and at the time i did not realize that that was unhealthy that's right what was that that's that's right yeah i'm sorry that's right he's he's coercing you into having sex with him right no absolutely and it's like at that time you don't think you're like oh no i'll do anything to keep this relationship they are actually like a good person deep down they'll change they'll do these things and needless to say i'm not in this relationship anymore 
Um, Good. But it, it does I take... Mean, I, I know that. <laughs> yes. No, but it does take a long time. Like you said, it. there's several stages into leaving an abusive relationship. And if you are telling somebody the things that you need and they aren't, they can't even give you that, then you should consider that they are not good, a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sex is a, <laughs> sex is a big thing that we are not taught enough about in school. Um, and far too shamed on. And it becomes extremely complicated when you're an adult. And when you're a teenager, um, just is something that we, we need to have like an entire redo on in our education system. So like, I definitely, um, because like, I've been coerced into sex many, many times, obviously. And I mean, this episode was extremely difficult for me because of my history with rape. And something that is very hard for me is, um, if my partner asks me, if I had an orgasm or if I like enjoyed it or anything like that, because throughout the times of being raped, I was, you know, basically told that it would be over faster if I acted like I enjoyed myself or basically just like my, like my self worth in those relationships had to be dependent on how much I was pleasing them and how much of a show I was putting on for them, even though I wasn't even enjoying having sex with them or was comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So basically just the the more open and honest communication you can have with your partner, the healthier your relationship is. Like Ben knows not to even ask me those things because he knows mm-hmm. that it it will cause me to become deeply emotionally upset. Right. So thank you for sharing. So if you or anyone you know is in a toxic relationship uh, or toxic or unhealthy relationship, um, please seek help either through a friend or a service such as Planned Parenthood, um, loveisrespect.org, um, the National Abuse Hotline, which is 1-800-799-SAFE, uh, or thehotline.org. These are just a couple resources that you can use. Yeah, also uh, RAIN, the Rape Abuse uh, Incest mm-hmm. National... The Rape Abuse Incest National <laughs> Network. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I d- I just want to say as a as a final note on this that um it can be extremely painful to watch someone going through a an abusive relationship, but do not assume that they don't realize that they are going through one. I notice that a lot of people when they want to help their friends, oftentimes will try to be a little more forceful instead of actually asking them what would help them and how they are feeling. Most mm-hmm. people in abusive relationships, they they are feeling a complete lack of control. And I mean, I know, I'm, I mean, I'm speaking personally, but I'm and saying they. Um, and also, like, I'm speaking, my sister has been in a deeply abusive relationship for, God, since I was probably in like seventh grade. And I'm 33 now. <laughs> so like a, a very long time. Um, and a lot of times I notice that when people are trying to get someone out of a situation, they're like, we are doing this, we are calling this number, like, or they're asking them how they could possibly stay, they imply the person must be crazy. And all of these things, all they do is make the person want to stay with the abuser more, because at least they're having like these little bits of like honeymoon periods, and they're like, 
used to the control that they feel uh, is being controlled over them with their abuser. And they have little tactics uh, to get around the abuse and to like appease them and to feel less fearful and less like their life is at risk. So just trying to guide someone and listen to them is wonderful. And like, of course, try to help your friend get out of a situation, but please fucking listen to them. Please ask them their, what their feelings are because most people will hide their feelings. They will hide their abusive relationships. They feel deep, deep shame. And however hard it might be for you to see them going through it, it is a million times harder for them to be going through it. So just, yeah, there's a million ways to help, but the biggest way to help is to actually just listen to someone. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I see so many people, especially with my sister, tell her what she needs to be doing Mm-hmm. And I'm like the only person who talks to my sister and is like, Shelly, it's okay if you miss him. Yeah. It's okay like that you have feelings for him. You, you know, because she currently does not live with him anymore. She's in that fourth stage for like the, I don't know, 10th time or something. Um, and it's like, so I try to be as empathetic as possible with her so she knows she's not nuts for having positive feelings for someone that she's been in been through a whole lot with for yeah. a whole long time in her life. Because when I was in the same situation, I just didn't tell anyone until multiple years after I was out of it. And so right. I just had no one to talk to. Because people, I would hear people say like, oh, like someone who stays with their abuser is fucking crazy. And that would make yeah. me be like, well, I'm not telling you anything. Or even if you try to hint at that, which is something that even people in my own family are are guilty of me saying this isn't good they're like oh but he's so nice to us but he yes i'm like yes it's like okay but this is telling you what's happening to me and how i feel and you're saying but he's so nice we can keep in contact with him right no i almost disowned my own brother for that he's like you broke up with him not me wow and the last thing i want to say about fandom related to this is that like which i told jenny when we were discussing this episode we're sorry this episode is late um it was very hard episode for me to do um we were discussing how these depictions are fictional and how it's important to realize that these depictions are fictional but it's also very important to recognize that these are situations that like while outlandish ring true to many, many people. And myself, for example, I did not tell people that I was raped because of how many conversations I got into about Harley Quinn and the Joker and their abusive relationship. And people just shut me down by saying she's crazy for being with him. And so it made me not want to tell people because that was me basically testing the waters to see if they could handle an actual conversation about my life. And every time people failed. So just... Think about that when you're having a conversation about a character that you think is just totally fictional and how that character actually relates to that person's life. I'm going to end it. Um, We knew this episode was going to be very hard to put out, but I believe it's extremely important to put it out. I personally had a lot of fun throughout our conversations. Um, This is a place where I mentally live every single day. I... I recently told Ben that this is something that I, I mean, I literally think about 
my past every single day of my life. And he did not realize this because I've probably talked to him about it five times. And I have had many conversations with people since being open about being raped for a long period of time where they have been very thankful that I have been open about it because it has helped them become open about their situation. So for however hard this episode is to talk about and put out, I'm still happy that we did it and I'm thankful that you guys were willing to do it. So, um, so please take a moment to subscribe, review and rate us. It's the easiest way to help support our podcast. Um, let us know what your favorite thing about our podcast is in a review on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook. I made Jenny too emotional. She can't, um, say the rest of the notes and that's okay. So I'll just say them all. Um, if you want to chat with us about the episode, our social medias are Fandom and Wellness on Instagram, Fandom and Wellness on Facebook, and Fandom Wellness on Twitter. You can find Arkita at Classy Rebel Design on Instagram, Jenny at Fan Mailbox on Instagram, and me at Little Petal on Instagram. If you want bonus content, join our fandom family at patreon.com slash fandom and wellness for Patreon exclusive geek sessions. Um, I also just started on the Little Petal Instagram doing weekly uh, lives with guests about Hogwarts houses and how it relates to your mental health and your career. And we will be uploading them to our Patreon in case you miss them. They, will, they are on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Um, so remember, so just remember, be kind and take no shit and tell on him if he is a fucking pedophile. <laughs>